Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Well, we want to get into the word of God tonight, and um, I, I want to I preach about the spirit of faith, but uh, I have a title for the message for those in the video department, because <laughs> there's after me today about this morning's title, and I said call it Sunday first service, <laughs> Sunday second service. <laughs> Isn't that what I said? Something like that? And they said, no, they really need, they really want something. I said, well, make something up. Probably nobody going to search it up anyway. And so, (laughs) but we call this, we are faith people. Those of you in the back right there, I'm talking to you. We are faith people. Say that with me. We are faith people. Say it again. We are faith people. Y'all sound like y'all are in the military. We're not marching to the gauntlet, okay? We're faith people. We're faith people. That's a good thing. We're all going to die. Well, eventually, but not tonight. I don't think, you, I don't, I don't think you're going to die tonight. We're, we're faith people. There's two reasons. Take your, take your pen, please, and let's just jump right into this thing. There's two reasons why we study faith, two major reasons why we study faith in the Bible. Number one, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. It's what? Impossible to please God. Why do we study faith? Number one, faith pleases God. He's my father. I want him happy with me. If faith pleases him, then I want, I want to operate in faith in my life if faith pleases God. I think everybody in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, can understand that. We study faith because faith makes God happy. When we operate in faith, it pleases God. When we believe him, what is faith? Faith is simply taking God at his word. It's, it's just saying to him, I believe what you said above everything else. I believe you. I I take you at your word. Faith in God is simply faith in his word. God and his word are one. When you believe his word, you're believing him. We remember that, right? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, but the word was God. The same was in the beginning. When you take God at his word, When you believe his word, you're believing God. God and his word are the same. The number one reason that we study faith, the number one reason that we that we want to Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The reason we want to build ourselves up in faith is simply because faith pleases God. God is happy when we believe him. The second reason we study faith is because of this. Everything. Everything, everybody say that with me, everything. That means nothing's left out of this. Everything you receive from God, you receive by faith. You don't get anything apart from faith. The Bible says it is by faith that it might be by grace. Everything that grace has provided, Paul says, you get it by believing God and receiving it by that substance Hebrews 11 and 1 calls faith. That's how it works. But what a great testimony we have heard in three services today from Hank to the brother tonight about finances. What a wonderful 
testimony that these brethren have gotten up and been an example, not, not up here full-time ministry, whatever, but I know he's in, that, in the transformation, but not occupying a pulpit here on Sunday mornings every Sunday, and God still blessed him a hundredfold. Why? Because he believed God. Because our giving is an act of faith. I believe you more than I believe the government. I believe you more than I believe the stock market. I believe you more than I believe all the stuff that's going on in the world. I put my finances, my heart is in my giving, and I give you my giving, which means I'm giving you my heart. I trust you. And God says, I like that right there. We had this past uh, summer, we had a lady come to our church named Debbie Rich. She's had a great revival here. That's how, that's the first time ever that I ever knew of who she was was because she came here to Wasilla and I watched the services online. In our services, we live, my church is in the Floyd County in Eastern Kentucky. It's one of the poorest areas in the country, in the Appalachian Mountain. The Appalachian people are some of the poorest people on the planet. And Dr. Debbie Rich came to our church. We had about three or four weeks of meetings. And in the last week of that meeting, well, maybe the next to the last week of that meeting, in our congregation, there was over, listen, now this is not offerings, exchanged between people in the, in the building. There were three or four churches that came together to help us put on the, the meeting so that we would, you know, so people showed up. There were Three, at least three pastors, four pastors that were there consistently. Within our congregation, there was over a quarter of a million dollars passed from hand to hand, not into her ministry, not into our church, but God was speaking to people in the body to give money to everybody, in, to other people in the church, and they would get up and cross the aisle and give $10,000, $15,000. God told me to give you my house. God told you, God told me to give you my car. Yes, absolutely. $5,000 guitars passed over here. Another $5,000 guitar passed over there. Not coming into the ministry. Debbie Rich did not get that money. That money was exchanged from church member to church member, from body member to body member. As a matter of fact, my wife and I, we received in three services, people came up and gave us what was called Pentecostal handshakes. Y'all are aware of that, right? People just walk up to us and, and shake our hands, and they'd have so much money in it that in three, in three days, Pastor Vince, in three days, what they gave us, people we knew, people we didn't know, would walk up and hand us money, and by the end of those three days, it surpassed what I make in my yearly salary at the church in three days. A spirit of generosity broke out in the congregation. You do understand when you read the book of Acts chapter 2, that's what happened at the end of that chapter. When the Holy Ghost fell on people, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They considered nothing they had their own. They had all things in common. And inside of that congregation, there were needs met and bills paid, not because the church office was writing checks, but because different members of the body were hearing the Holy Ghost say, go meet the need of your brother and sister and write them a check, give them some money. 
That, my friend, pleases God. Where we say, I'm not considering my own bank account. I'm not considering the stock market. I'm not considering, hey, in the middle of that, COVID was going on. I'm not considering that. If God is God, he can get it to me any way he wants to. It doesn't matter what any financial system on the planet says. Well, thank you for that. It's more like a groan. Can you say amen or something like that right there? If God's God, then he has a million ways to get to you whatever you need. All you have to do is believe him. Here's the deal. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, those four words, King James's three words, have faith. Now the Greek says, have the God kind. It should be in the margin of your Bible. Jesus says, have the God kind of faith. Have God's faith. Well, if Jesus is telling us in Mark chapter 11 and verse number 22 to have God's faith, then by George, he better give us a way to get it. And Paul told us how he does that. So then, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God produces inside of you the faith of God. So, ever how much faith you have in your heart? Oh, God, increase my faith. Here's how you do it. Open a Bible, read it. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing. Okay, that went over well too right there, didn't it? Well, it's much easier to pray for it. Yeah, but the Bible says get in the Word and hear it. <laughs> Lord, increase our faith. That's a prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not a new covenant prayer. I know, I know, I know. Y'all praying it, but that, anyway. That was a man under the old covenant before people ever got born again. That was in the ministry of Jesus. Oh, increase my faith, help my unbelief. Oh, yeah, 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 pray it all you want. But while you're praying, you better open your Bible and you better be reading it and you better be filling yourself full of the knowledge of the word of the Lord because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. That's all right. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all right with ruffling a few feathers, all right? It just goes with the territory. It's okay. You can pray about it all you until your tongue falls out of your mouth. But until you open your Bible, you're not going to get the faith that you need until you figure out what the Bible says and promises you about what you're believing God for. So the number one reason that we study faith is because faith pleases God. I want God happy. I want my heavenly father to be pleased with me. I don't want to go through the rest of my life. I'm 44 years old. I don't want to go the rest of my life working my fingers to the bone trying to do something that all I have to do is find out what the Bible says, take God at his word, and believe him, and he deposits it in my life that way. Because here's what we find. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus said, have faith in God. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you, King James, for verily I say, truly I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things that he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. The word of God in your heart coming out of your mouth is no less powerful than the word of God coming out of God's mouth. The vessel doesn't matter. The power is contained within the word. 
I said the vessel don't matter. The power is contained in the word. Fill your life with the word of God and shoot that thing out of your mouth at that mountain because here's the deal. I'm the believer. He's the performer. I can't work a miracle, but he can. I can't work a miracle. I can't heal a body. I can't do anything, but I can believe him, and he's a miracle worker. Jesus is still a miracle worker. I don't know if y'all have them up here in Alaska, but down, down where we're from, they just overrun with folks. These cessationalists, miracles pass. God don't do nothing. He just retired after the resurrection. You know, he's just sitting in heaven. You know, yeah. Aggravates the stew out of me. Can I say that? Just aggravates me. Here's why. Here's why. People don't have a problem with the Jesus that was. The Jesus of the four gospels we're okay with. Even they're okay with it. Cessationalists will preach about the miracles of Jesus throughout the book of John. They're okay with Jesus working miracles then. They're okay with the Jesus in the revelation that's coming back with fiery eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth riding on a white horse. They're okay with him having a tattoo on his hip. They're okay with all of that. That's the Jesus that is to come. Religious people are okay with the Jesus that was. They're okay with the Jesus that will be. What they get highly ticked off about is a Jesus of right now that will heal your body and deliver you from demons and he'll... <laughs> That's... <laughs> I believe he can. Here's what, I, here's what I've learned about him. They believe that God, God's sovereign, God could do whatever he wants. But here's what I found, Pastor Christian. They, God can do anything he wants except what you're asking for and except what you need. And it always is amazing to me how they'll preach God can do anything except what you actually ask him for. And then they say, he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. The Lord moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And they almost say that like it's in the Bible. And it's not. The Bible does say that his actions he made known to the children of Israel. But the way he did what he did, he made known unto Moses. He called Moses up in the mountain and said, let me show you how I parted the Red Sea. Let me show you how I did this. Let me show you how I put the wall of fire around uh, Pharaoh's chariots and knocked his wheels off. Moses knew how God did it. The children of Israel down there knew that he did it. Moses knew how he did it. He knew the inner workings of the secrets of God. If that's an inferior covenant, we're based, we're in a better covenant based on better promises, and Moses had better insight in perception in the in the revelation realm. God help us. God help us. So you can't just be okay with the Jesus who's in the four gospels and the Jesus who's in the revelation. No, no, no. He's a living Jesus right now. If he ever healed, he still heals. If he ever delivered, he still delivers. If he ever healed, he still healed. He still heals. He still heals. If he ever healed, he still healed. If he ever did it, he's Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. If he ever did it, he's still doing it. Well, I've preached myself happy right there. Glory to God. 
Why? Because I believe him. I've seen miracles. I, I, I could stand here. I could stand here for days and tell you about miracles. Days and tell you about miracles. Can I tell you about one? Little girl came, was going to baptize her in the, in the baptismal revival. Little girl came, I've got all of this, I've got videos and pictures and all that. I just didn't give any of them back there because I didn't know I was going to talk about them. She came in, 16 years old, has a twin sister. Her twin sister's big, grade A athlete. This little girl's just a little twiggy looking thing. She would walk in into the church, 16 years old, when she was born, umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck. She had a stroke at birth and it destroyed her memory. She's 16 years old, could not remember what she ate for breakfast this morning, could not remember what she ate for supper tonight, had no memory. 16 years old, no memory. She woke up in a brand new world every day of her life for 16 years. Had no memory. Her grandparents would carry around. She didn't recognize them. Every day she met her family brand new all over again. By the time she goes to bed tonight, she forgot who they were. Beautiful, incredible. I had a lot of fun with her. Because she would be walking down the hall of the church, and I would pop out and say, hey, good to see you tonight. Oh, yeah, she would say, hi, good. I'd, I'd pop back behind the corner and pop back out and say, hey, good to see you tonight. She would say, hey, good to see you. I'd pop back around the corner, and I'd come back out and say, hey, good to see you tonight. I mean, you could do that ten times in a row. She didn't remember saying it the last time. Just, just, just pray for me, all right? Just pray for me. So one night she, she decided she was going to get in the pool to be baptized where God was doing miracles because God promised our friend Todd Smith. He had a vision. He was a Southern Baptist, but God gave him a vision of fire dancing on top of the baptismal pool waters. And the Lord spoke to this Southern Baptist and said, when you baptize them in water, I'll baptize them in Holy Spirit fire. So we said, we take God at his word because we believe God. So we got her in the water. She gets in the water. And her pastor asked her pastor, her pastor, her pastor said, what, what do you need Jesus to do? She said, I don't know. She don't know because she has no memory. I don't know what I need him to do. Do you want Jesus to give you a miracle tonight? Yeah, yeah, I need a miracle. They take her under the water, as I said this morning, hold her under for three seconds. She comes back up. When she came back up, her eyes were as big as they could be. She looked all around the room just like this. And when she did that, she turned and went toward the ladder. It's a 6,500-gallon pool. Remember that. She said, to the, to the ladder. She got on the ladder, went down, said not one word to anybody. She just went. And you understand, as I said this morning, we're baptizing nine people around this pool at the same time. Nine, I mean, just miracle after miracle after miracle. So I'm standing there, and I'm, I, I check my watch, and by this time it's 1130 at night. We would baptize till midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 in the morning, whatever, starting at around 8. So I, I looked at the clock and I said, I, I need to go make sure that the hospitality is ready for our guests. So I go out. In our church, when you come out of the sanctuary, you go through the foyer and then you can turn left in the hospitality room and for the guests are over there. But uh, along that same hall is the men's room and the women's room and a couple of classrooms. I came out and took a left and went into the hospitality room. I made sure everything was okay. I came back out of the door of the hospitality room and turned to go back toward the sanctuary down the hall to the right. When I took a few steps, she came out of the women's room.
When she turned, we're face to face, probably as far as I am from that brother right there who's chewing whatever it is he's eating right there. I don't even know if he's supposed to be doing that. Is that gum? Okay. (laughs) Are you on security? Please don't shoot me. (laughs) Did y'all put the cameras on him? Because he was enjoying that gum right there when I just pointed him out. (laughs) Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou. Pray for me now. So I turn and I look at her. I turn and I look at her, and she she turns and looks at me, and she said, Oh, Pastor Jason, I almost swallowed my tongue, first of all, and I said, Don't say another word. Don't, Don't move. Don't say another word. She just froze. She's 16. Pastor's yelling at me for some reason. I ran into the sanctuary. I grabbed a couple of guys. I said, come on, Kololu, right now. Whatever you're doing, drop it. Get out of here right now. I need witnesses. I went outside, and I said, say that again. She said, oh, Pastor Jason. I said, you know my name. She said, I know your name. She looked around at one of the brothers that I'd brought in. She said, I know him. I know his name. She said, this is what she started. She said, I had cinnamon toast crunch for breakfast this morning. This was, you understand, this is 11.30 at night. I had cinnamon toast. She started telling me what she ate that day. I said, what happened to you? Why did you run out of the, why did you run out of the pool, run out of the sanctuary? She said, when I came up out of the water and I looked around, she said, people that I have been familiar with for 16 years that have told me their names thousands of times, when I came out of that water, my memory came back and I knew every one of them. Within, go ahead, I mean, Jesus is a miracle worker. Within about a 24-hour, 36-hour period, listen to this because this, this, this gets me in a deep place every time. Within a day and a half of being baptized, every memory of her 16-year life came back to her. There was not one memory lost. She would be driving, riding in the back of the car. Her grandparents would be driving, and she would say, Grandpa, remember when I was nine and we went to Myrtle Beach on vacation? Her memory came back. Not what what the enemy meant for evil. God turned that thing around for her. (laughs) Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. You're a miracle worker. Amazing, absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. Another young lady who's now in the ministry had an auditory processing disorder. She was she was she was legally deaf. She had hearing aids. They were about sixteen thousand dollar hearing aids. You could not get Abigail to say hi to you. It didn't matter if you offered her a hundred dollar bill. She walked in. Her eyes were on the floor. She was awkward around people. She would not speak. She gets water baptized. She comes up out of the water. The pool was up by the altar at that time. She comes up. These are not people getting baptized because they just got saved. These people. These people have been saved for years. She gets out, she comes up out of the water, she looks out, begins to cry, jumps out of the pool and runs over and hugs her mother. And I was like, what in the world is this about? So we just waited to see what in the world it was about. She had not hugged her mother 
in eight years. She was mad at her mother because she thought her mother having a boyfriend when, their fa- when her father left, she thought the boyfriend coming into the house was what caused her to have the issues with her ears. I don't know why. Why was this man born blind? Was it his father's sin or his mother's sin? So the first thing that happened when she came out of the water, she ran to her mother that she hadn't hugged in eight years and hugged her mother and they wept on each other's shoulder and told each other how much they loved one another. And that night, Abigail stood up and said, my hearing has been completely restored. Abigail was 18 years old. Let me finish before you. I I know we're going to give God glory for it. I believe she's 18 years old because she just had senior portraits and all of that. 18 years old, she had worn worn these hearing aids. She had never passed a hearing test in her life. Never passed a hearing test in her life. Could not speak because she could not hear. When she came out of that water, she told her her mother she loved her, did not have her hearing aids in, and spoke perfectly. I gave her the mic and had her testify in front of the congregation. She took the mic from my hand, began to proclaim the miracle and the testimony of what Jesus did for her, completely coherent. The awkwardness was gone, and within a few months after that miracle, she walked up to her pastor and said, God's called me to preach. He said, you've got next Wednesday night. She went in, she went in less than a week from never speaking to a single person to proclaiming the message of the gospel in just a matter of a couple of weeks. Now that is a miracle, my friend. I don't have a problem. Come on, give God glory right there. That's powerful. It's amazing. It's not that there's magic water. It's that we have a miracle working Jesus. We trust him. Second Corinthians chapter four, second Corinthians chapter four. Are those big numbers that keep changing on that back wall? I mean, is that for me? That's got to be for you. That can't be for me. I, I'm, I'm a guest here. Y'all surely wouldn't do that to me. I mean, I'm a Lord, have mercy. Second <laughs> Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, who is the image of God, should shine into them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where's the glory of God? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed. Look what happens. Look what he says here. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life 
in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, read that with me again. And since we have the same spirit of faith, I'll keep reading, according to as it is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have the same spirit of faith. What does it mean? We believe, therefore we speak. That's exactly what God did in creation. He believed, therefore he spoke. Hebrews 11, 3, we, we are aware, we, we are convinced that by faith, God created the universe. That's how he did it. He was a speaking God. He is a speaking God. And he created man in his image and after his likeness. And in the garden, he made man a living being, which the Hebrew would indicate he made man a speaking spirit, just like he is. Yes? We're speaking people. Our words dominate us. Well, that went over well too, but it's true. Our words dominate us. God's word framed the world that he created. Your words are framing your world. It's the way it works. God created you in his image and after his likeness, he made the vastness of the universe to show you how it works for him. And he gives you your world so that you can frame it with the word of God or with doubt and then live in it for the rest of your life. It's up to you. Death and life are in the power of your tongue, not his. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. God's not eating the fruit of any of it. He's sitting high up on a throne. Absolutely. It's not death and life are in the power of his tongue. Death and life's in the power of your tongue. There are things you're speaking life into that you should speak, be speaking death into. There are things you're keeping alive on life support by always talking about it. When there are things you ought to be saying, that thing's going to be dead and buried by the time this service is over tonight. That thing will not rise again. We kill it tonight with our words. Well, on the same token, there are things that should be living in your life that you've killed because you've used your curses instead of your blessing. Man, slaver, be upon you and a thousand generations. You know good for nothing. No, no, no. You, you can't come to church and talk about how the blessing of the Lord is upon your, fa upon your family and your children's children and then go home and curse them and expect them to live in a blessing. You can't undermine the Word of God and get it to work for you. We're faith people. We're not looking at what our natural eyes can see. We're looking at something bigger. We're looking at something better. We're looking at something more glorious. We look into the realm of the Spirit. We're faith people. Yeah. One man down in the south said, faith will make a man swing out over, he over hell on a corn stalk and spit in the devil's eye. When you believe God, <laughs> yeah. 
The spirit of faith. Second Tim, write it down, please. Second Peter chapter one, verse one. Second Peter one, one. Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior. Second Timothy one, three through five. I thank God, Paul said, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of you, Timothy, night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it's in you too. It's not a generational curse. He's talking about a generational blessing of the spirit of faith that was passed down from grandma to mama that's in Pastor Timothy now in 2 Timothy chapter 1. The blessing of the spirit of faith can be passed from generation to generation to generation. Oh God, help us to understand that revival, that an awakening unto God is more than just service after service after service, but it is an attitude, it is an atmosphere, it is an impartation that can be sustained and added to. It never has to plateau, it never has to wear out, it can grow stronger and stronger with every generation until that day comes when the King of Glory comes and receives his church. God help us, Lord, to sustain something instead of allowing it to die. I don't have time to talk about it. But 2 Kings chapter 3 says this. You ought to just write it down in your notes. 2 Kings says, the reason that God left some of the nations that he left in the promised land. Everybody say promised land. God said, I'm leaving some of the nations in the promised land that I'm leaving because the elder generation did not pass on the testimony of the victories of the wars that they fought and won by my power. So because the upcoming generation does not know how to fight, because they do not know how to war, I'm going to have to leave some heathen nations in the promised land to teach the upcoming generation how to war. What he's saying is the testimony of the victory of the Lord should have been heralded from one generation into the next. And God said, I could have wiped out those nations through you. But because you shut your mouth up and you would not proclaim the testimony from one generation to the next, the next generation is going to have to fight battles that they shouldn't have had to fight if you'd have taught them how to war. I'm talking about something sustainable. God's trying to tell us there, there's something that you can do that you can sustain victory in your family so that your kids and your grandkids don't have to fight the same devils you fought. And it's connected to the spirit of faith right here because Paul said, when I look at you, Timothy, I recognize something in you that was in your grandma. Your grandma fought battles long before you were ever born, Timothy, but you're reaping the benefit of the battle. Hallelujah. You're reaping the benefit of the battle. Some of y'all are newly come to kings. You're reaping benefits from being in a body like this that you don't know the wars. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But if I were you, I would hang around long enough so that when those rare occasions do happen and your pastor does get up and begin to preach, he unbuds the shirt and begins to show a few of the scars 
from the last 15 years. And you say, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. That's why when you walk into the room, the Holy Ghost begins to move on you. Because there are people who have fought not just a day or two. Not just a week or two, not just a month or two, but I know for closer to two decades, they have fought and contended for revival and awakening. They didn't start this last week. They didn't start this last year. They didn't start it two years ago. It didn't come pre-COVID alone. It was going on when they were, when, when nobody was showing up for early morning prayer. But you got to know why there's victories now. And I'm not, I'm not saying the battle's over. There's plenty of opportunity for you to see how to win a big battle right now. And one of them sitting over there on the hillside. Don't bail out because it gets tough. Dig your teeth into this thing in the middle of it, and God will show you how to win a battle of, of gargantuan size so that when trouble starts coming into your individual life, you say, oh, ho, 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 no, 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 Mr. Devil. No, 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 Mr. Devil. I saw how to win a big battle, and I saw that that project was completed over there. We're not coming down off the wall. Why would I come down off the wall into the valley of Ono and talk about building a wall with you when I can just stay on the wall with a trial in one hand and a sword in the other. I'm not coming down off the wall. I'm going to keep fighting while I'm building the wall. It's not revival or warfare. It's warfare in the middle of revival teaching another generation how to fight this thing through until you back, until you back the devil down for good and let him know you're going to pay for all the junk that you've put up. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. God Almighty. Everybody say God Almighty. God Almighty invented the process of sowing and reaping. God did that. Noah, as long as the earth remains, there will be summer and winter. There will be springtime and harvest, and there will be sowing and reaping. God created that. What that means is this, and I love, to, I love to talk about it. Everything the devil has sown into you, every deception, every divisive lie that he has sown into you, the devil will reap it. John said, I saw an angel come down from heaven with a chain and he bound that devil and he threw him into the pit. The devil will pay for what he's done to God's people. Selah. While we look not on what we can see, don't give in to murmuring and complaining. Don't give in to murmuring and complaining. Those are all signs of doubt and unbelief. The people who have faith always had a shout. 
People of faith always had a shout. Why? Because we're not looking at what we can see with our natural eye. We're not listening to what we can only hear with our natural ear. We're not feeling what we can only feel with our natural senses. You understand when you read the New Testament, every outside sense that your physical body has, your spirit has. Your spirit man has eyes. We just read about it. While we look not. While we look not on what the natural man can see, but what the supernatural provides. Jesus said, if any man hath an ear to hear, your spirit man has an ear. You can sense the Spirit of God because He is a supernatural being, and it starts first in your spirit, and then it manifests upon your body because He's a spirit being. You're a spirit being. Y'all doing all right? So you exercise. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 says. When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again those things which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have need of milk. You have become need of milk and not of strong meat because up until now you're not able to bear strong meat. Because strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. Why is it that we have such spiritual people in church but all they ever find is devils? The Bible says that we're to, we're by our body being exercised in the Word of God, we should be able to pick up on angels. We should be able to pick up on, okay, all right, eh, whatever. 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 I don't, whatever. <laughs> Ain't no skin off my teeth. People can remain b- b- little touchy-feely babies. My wife, we was, trying to, we was trying to FaceTime with her today and our little two-year-old back in Kentucky. Mommy, mommy took an M&M away from her. Oh, my. All of the universe came crashing down upon her little body. Oh, my God. Mommy took my candy. Mommy took my locklet. My locklet. Oh, where's my locklet? Oh, mommy. I thought you loved me. Why? No, no, no. That's exactly how Christians are. Start complaining. Something don't work out right. Instead of looking beyond what they can see and sense in their natural realm. Instead of looking through the eyes of faith and say, I'm not giving up. A bad report don't detour me. A bad, a bad report from a doctor, a bad report from the bank, a bad report. That don't stop me. This is just an opportunity for God to do a bigger miracle than he was going to do yesterday. I believe God. I'm a faith person. I believe God. I believe God. That's what I do. I believe he performs. Well, how long? How long do I have to believe God? Until you see the miracle. That's how long you don't give up. This hope we have, the Hebrew writer said, is an anchor to your soul, both sure and steadfast. You pull the anchor and you throw it out. An anchor says to a boat or a ship this far and no further. That's what an anchor says. It tells the boat you can go this length, but you're not going any further than that. The Word of God will tell your body, it will tell your mind, it will tell your emotions this far, no further. We're faith people. We're dominated by the Holy Ghost. We're dominated by the Word of God. We're not dominated by what we see. That's why Wigglesworth said, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved by what I believe, and I believe God's Word to be true. That's it. We're faith people. Immature people 
Baby Christians are moved by every wind that blows. They start sinking. But people of maturity goes, I've seen bigger gusts. Never will I forget. I've used this all around the world. Pastor Vince was telling me one day on the island of Kauai, Hurricane Niki went through Kauai. And everybody on the island said, my goodness, it has destroyed all the trees and the vegetation. Is that right? The palm trees were bent down. It looked like the whole island had been destroyed. It was a direct hit from a major hurricane, right? It looked like all of it was destroyed. But then the sun came out. And the tropical wind continued to blow. And all of those trees that had been bowed down low started standing back up. And they turned their leaves back up toward the heavens. And there they stood. You're built for the fight. You're, hallelujah, you're built for the fight. Faith is built for the fight because you believe God. Buck up, little buckaroo. You're going to make the devil nervous. He's going to start shooting at you. He's going to bend his bow. He's going to start shooting at you. But you say, as the psalmist said, how does the Lord say, take wings like a bird and fly up into my mountain when the wicked are bending their bow and they're shooting their arrows at me? What am I going to do if the right, if the foundations be destroyed what shall the righteous do and God told him what to do get your wings out honey and start flapping and out fly the height of the arrow go higher than the arrow can fly go higher than the enemy can shoot don't stay down there get up here into the mountain of the Lord faith is built for the fight that's why he said, fight the good fight of faith. Faith is built for the fight. If I have faith in God, I'm not going to have, well, I have all of these things befalling me because you have faith in God. You think the devil's going to give you a free pass up the side? Think again. He's going to try to stop you, but we're not looking at his, his little temporary antics. We're looking at what God has promised. He said, you're going to possess the land. He said, you're going to possess the city. He said, Alaska shall be saved. Alaska, hear the word of the Lord. You shall be saved. That's what we believe. He knows why it's getting worse and worse. Shut up. The kids are in. Am I supposed to say that? Hush. That's hillbilly for shut up. It's the same thing. We just couldn't spell it. Too many letters. You don't, you don't talk like that. You're a faith person. You don't talk like that. We have the same spirit. Whatever we believe, whatever we're believing God for. Let me tell you this, and then I'll, and then I'll close, and we're going to lay hands on folks in just a moment. Some years ago, under the Obama administration, we were on, on Maui, Mandy and I. We were staying with Dr. Morocco. Very graciously, he opened his house, of course, and, and we were staying with him. And I tell this story because I, I, so I have so many wonderful stories of Dr. Morocco. But we were in his, in his house, and my wife was playing the piano, 
And he came down, and he was going to sit with us. And all of this furniture is in the house. Some of y'all have been there. You know what it looks like. All this furniture is there. And Dr. Morocco reaches over and, and just picks this, this little kitty chair, this little tiny children's chair. Of all of that furniture, he picked that little chair, and he pulled it over, and he just sat down on it. <laughs> He was just kind of hovering. And I'm like, is he joking? What, what? Oh, God, help that chair. I mean, it was a real supplication. This is, this is, I'm just telling you the truth. He's just sitting on this. I'm like, of all this furniture, of all this furniture, a man of his size, of all this furniture, he knows I love him. He's, he's just hovering. I mean, he's just, he's way down there on this chair. Knees up. It just, you can see it. Stop it. Stop it. If you, if you get started, I'll be a goner. All right? So, anyway, this is, this is his mode of relaxation in this little, this little chair. I'm sitting, you know, the Grand Walea had sold all that. I'm sitting in one of these big comfortable chairs. He's hovering over this, I'm like, it's his house. Maybe that's his favorite chair. I don't know. You know, I don't. I didn't ask. I didn't question him. I'm just like, it's yours. But you could have chosen one of fifty other, anyway, adult size chairs. So we start talking. So he's hovering there. I'm sitting in the chair. Mandy's sitting on the piano bench, and and we're talking. And I ask him a question. I don't remember the question, but I said, Doctor Morocco, what about this? I'll never forget. He said. Since this administration took over in America, and he had his finger up like this, and he was going to make a point, and he said, no. He said, I can't say that because it will undermine my prayers. So let's just pray for him. He's hovering on a chair, and he says, let's pray. And sit- <laughs> So sitting there, he began to pray. We began to pray for Barack Obama, President Obama, Michelle, the whole administration. He said, I can't say that because it will undermine my faith. It will undermine my prayers. He understood the power of his words in a normal conversation with other ministers. If he doesn't mind his tongue, all of the prayers that he had prayed for the administration could be undone by his mouth going haywire and undoing everything he had been praying for. That's your global senior pastor. Take a page from his book. When you feel the Tabasco sauce beginning to rise. You understand? When the anger starts boiling, remember, pray in the Holy Ghost. I don't feel like praying in the Holy Ghost. That's why you need to pray in the Holy Ghost. That's why he's there. He's your helper. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.